0: Father in heaven, we love you and thank you so much for your holy word. We thank you for the privilege we have now to uh, dig into it and understand more about your calling on our life. Please bless our time together as we unpack these scriptures that you would even in this very moment transform us and give us new ways of thinking correctly about work and about the call that you've given us as your people to be ambassadors. Throughout this world, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've had 16 jobs. That may sound like a lot. But I started when I was in second grade. My dad, five children, uh, very much believed that we should be earning a buck, learning to work early. Lawns, that was the job that lasted until I was 15 when I went and got my first paycheck from a company. I'll tell you about that job in a minute, but I've had many jobs. I've done landscaping. I managed a hot dog restaurant. I worked for a man named Jay St. John, who owned St. John's Ladies Apparel, the Ralph Lauren shop, the Jay Carroll shop, and the shoe salon at St. John's in Oklahoma. I did that for three years in college, 300 women employees, and me and Jay. That job taught me more about ministry than any job (laughs) I will ever have. It was amazing, really. Never once having a conflict with anybody in that whole organization. My first job was at FERS Cafeteria. I got fired. One time in my life, I've been fired, and I hope it's the last. It was my first job, first paid job. I was hired to be the boy that serves bread. Brett. And my best friend, Brett Ross' show, was hired the same day to serve on the same line. Sodas, iced tea, making sure lemons, whatever the people wanted. By 3.30 each day, the dinner rush hit. I'm pretty sure that's where I met Ron Williams for the first time. And they moved through the line, eager for that early dinner, or maybe late. And I loved the job. It lasted four days. (laughs) Because I was also told to be the busboy. That part of the job I didn't really like. I didn't like cleaning up dirty dishes after people had eaten. And the four ladies that were already the bus, I guess bus ladies, did not like me. They didn't speak English. They felt like I was a threat. I didn't want their job. They thought I did. And they basically began to sabotage me. Now it might sound like I'm crying a victim, and I kind of am. I kind of was, for sure. Because when I got fired, I had to go home and tell my dad that I'd lost a job. I felt like I had reasons, I felt like they were legitimate, but there was never a reason acceptable to my dad. And what took place after that was, well, it's just been a lifelong lesson, I promise you. It was very, very intense. So I lost my first job, the job of making bread, so I no longer had any dough. I was not able to work until that summer, where I worked for Whitewater, a wonderful amusement park, so to speak. Most summers, I had three or four jobs, that's just the way it worked hard work ethic in my family, and I'm very, very grateful for that. But I learned early on that work is hard and that most people hate it. If they don't hate it, if they found their sweet spot, they would all admit, we would all admit, there's still parts of the job you don't like. I love my job right now, but there are parts of my job that are hard. There really are. Things that I'm not very good at. Things that I just don't want to do, but I have to do anyway. We all have those. And the reason work is hard Is because of the curse. And so this morning, what I want to do is talk about how God, because he's about redeeming everything, how God is rescuing work, but also using us to rescue people where we work. That's really what I want to focus on. God is rescuing work, and he's rescuing people through our work. And I want to do it by looking at three things. First, we need to understand biblically what work really is. Secondly, I want to talk about the character of our work. And lastly, I want to talk about what you wear to work. I think you'll find it interesting. Understanding work. I'm not sure if you've ever thought about this, but work in God's great design was part of paradise. Work is not a result of the fall. The curse of work is. But work is part of paradise. In the passages that we're reading, we see that God... Put Adam in the garden, in verse 215 of Genesis, to work it and to keep it. And God, after creating everything, said after each day, it is good, it is good, it is good. Genesis records the account of God's work, God's creation, and it's good. He only says there's one thing that is not good. Did you see it? It is not good that the man should be alone. 2:18 I will make him and think about all the words that God could use to describe the woman. He says, "I will make him a helper fit for him." God saw that it was not good for Adam to be alone. He created this woman to be a helper, to help him in the God-given call of work which was part of paradise. God loves work god loves for us to work he gave us the gift of work the joy of serving him and and overseeing this creation that he put in our control to to nurture and care obviously as he is the one completely in control as we understand work we need to know that work was part of paradise Work is something that God loves. And work is something that matters. All of our work matters. And that's an important thing to talk about for a moment. Because many Christians have a very uh, incorrect view of work. Especially in this way. If I ask you right now to talk to the person next to you. And I say, here's the question I want you to ask and answer. What is the Lord's work? If I simply had you turn to one another and say, what is the Lord's work? I wonder what you would say. What would come to your mind? My guess is that many of you would say, well, the Lord's work is missionary work, being a pastor, what Mark and Chad and Bill and others are doing, the guys you're going to be praying for next week at 4 o'clock right here. That's God's work. And that's the wrong answer. It's part of God's work. It's part of the Lord's work. But the Lord's work is also you going to wherever he's called you putting together spreadsheets, making proposals, managing staff, working under a staff. It is managing people's lives through finances. It's, it's doing a whole host of things. So many jobs represented here, including being a mom and being a dad and being a grandmother and a grandfather. It's all the Lord's work. One of the ways in which I discovered how incorrect this thinking is was when I was in seminary. Covenant Seminary taught the right view of work, but there was a large company called Eli Lilly, the very large pharmaceutical company who was interested in offering literally millions of dollars to seminaries who could help them figure out how to get the best and the brightest high school students interested in the Lord's work. Their definition of the Lord's work? pastoral ministry. This was their premise, that the reason the mainline churches, the mainline churches in the United States were declining in number was because the best and the brightest were no longer pastoring those churches. That was their premise. And they had this theological fund, this theological foundation, that they wanted to see that trend change. They wanted to see the best and the brightest in high school not simply go into law or business or to be doctors They wanted some of them to say, I'd like to be a pastor. So their idea was, let's let seminaries all across the United States make a proposal as to how they would get high school students interested in seeing ministry as a vocation. The Lord's work. How much money were they offering? They were offering a $30,000 planning grant that would then give you $1.2 million. And if it was sustainable after three years, another $600,000. Big money. Big money. For seminaries who are always looking for money, because I was in youth ministry, Brian Chapel and others on the board of Covenant Seminary said, "What do you think about us doing something to put a proposal together to get this this deal?" I said, "Well, the problem is it's fundamentally against what we believe is true. We don't believe that there is a portion of work that's the Lord's work. We believe it's all the Lord's work. That's what you taught me as a student." And they're like, "Of course, yes, but it's one point two million dollars." So, what can we do? I said, honestly, I think what we should do, and I wasn't in this alone, is that we should tell them we disagree and then we should give them a better idea. I think they might like it. Now, I'm sure they begin to wonder whether I should be on that committee or not. But Donald Guthrie, Dr. Guthrie, who's just here at our church doing some training, he leaned in and said, I think it's right. And so, what we did is we created a proposal of a ministry called the Youth in Ministry Institute. And what that was, was it it was going to expose high school students to the reality that medicine and business and teaching and law and being a mom and working at a restaurant, it's all the Lord's work. It's all ministry. And as students come onto our seminary campus, they're going to be exposed to that plus what pastors do and are being trained to do. We went so far as to say we're actually not going to keep them on the campus the whole time, but what we're going to do is send them out to meet with professionals like the head of personnel for Boeing and a baseball player who was a pitcher who won two games in a World Series. That's a career. It's a job. It's a calling. I wish it was mine sometimes. Eli Lilly loved it. And they gave us the $1.2 million, And then they gave us the 600000 But what I learned was that most Christians tend to think incorrectly that there is some work that's the Lord's work, But everything else, well, it's just what people do. I want you to leave here today knowing that that's false. Your work matters to God. Whatever it is he's called you to do in life right now, whether it's sales or management, whether it's cleaning or creating, your work matters to God because God made work as part of paradise. Now, your work is hard. Just like my work is hard. Some days are better than others. Some seasons are better than others. But wherever he has called you to be, he is seeking to rescue work. And he's seeking to rescue people through us, through our work. And how does he do it? Well, first, as I mentioned, it's understanding work. That God God says work matters. It's also understanding the curse. Because of Adam and Eve's disobedience to God the Lord did bring about a curse. In 3.17, the Lord said, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles that shall bring forth for you. And then in 3.19, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. This is important. There aren't many farmers in the communities we come from. There are some. It's an important job. We should be far more grateful than we are. But we sweat. We sweat in our jobs because jobs can be physically exhausting, intellectually exhausting, where you just don't know what to do, you don't know what decision to make, you don't know what the consumer is wanting. They can be emotionally exhausting as relationships are strained between coworkers and boss and employees. Our work, because of the curse. Often causes us to be exhausted and puts us in bed early. And other times, our work is what wakes us up in the middle of the night. It keeps us awake, awaking with a lack of peace because we don't know what's going to happen. It's all part of the curse, but God is rescuing work and God is rescuing people through our work. But how? The next two points. First, I want to talk about character. What is The character of your work wherever you work? What is it? How would people describe the kind of work you do? Now, here I'm actually talking about performance and production. It matters to God. Whatever the Lord has called you to do, by His grace and for His glory, you must, as a Christian, do the best you can do with what you have been given. Now, you may not have been given the same level of talent as a coworker. You may not get promoted because someone actually is better than you at that job. God is not offended by that. God wants us to do the best with what he's given us. I play the guitar. Did you know that? I will never play before you and sing like Paul did. Or I'll be fired from this job. (laughs) I can't do that. I can play in my living room by myself to an audience of six, but I can't do that. Different gifts. But what God wants is us to use the God-given gifts that he's given us, his gifts for us, for his glory and by his grace. If that's filing, organizing, managing, selling, buying, thinking, creating, constructing... He wants us to do the very best we can with the gifts that he has given us. Our performance and our production as Christians matters. Why? Because people notice beautiful work. People notice hard work. Sometimes you're not going to be in the sweet spot. You're going to be in a difficult spot. But your work matters to God. But there's another part of character I want to talk about too. And that is the character of our person. Who are we? It's not just about performance and production alone. It's about the people we are. How would your coworkers describe you when the rest of the workforce that you're in is stressed out? How would your coworkers describe you when gossip begins to form around the water fountain? How would your workers describe you to your face, and how would they describe you to someone else when you weren't listening? As a Christian, is there an answer to how they should be describing us? And the answer is yes. One of those answers is found in Colossians 3. Look back in your bulletin or turn there in your Bible to that section. I want to read this again. Paul says, put on. That's literally a, a, an image of clothing, getting dressed. He says, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one is a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Okay, listen to this description. Compassionate, kind, humble, meek, patient, forbearing, loving. Who doesn't want to work with a person like that? And there are people out there that are dishonoring, and they don't. But I'm not talking about them. The majority of the people in the workforce, Christian or not, would love to work with people like this. These are the kind of employees you'd want to hire. These are the kind of employees you would like to work next to, assigned to a project you want to work with, people who forgive, people who love, people who are humble, even when they receive great praise. Christians, this is what our life and the workforce should look like. It's what our life should look like at home too. Why? Because God is rescuing work and he's rescuing people through our work. And when we live like this, guess what? People notice. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. We are new creatures in Jesus and the light of Jesus shines through us so people take note because the character, the characteristics listed here are beautiful. But in order to understand this, we have to talk about our wardrobe. Understanding work, character in your work, your character in your work, and now our wardrobe. What do you wear? Here's why. In this congregation... There are people who wear white collars and blue collars. There are people who this week will put on an apron, and there are people who will put on gloves. There are people who will wear a helmet, and there are those who wear a suit. All throughout this body of 5,000-plus members, there are people in all sorts of work, and every one of them has a wardrobe that they wear to work. Like I said, some will dress and put on a tie every day. Others will never put a tie in. Some will wear pantsuits. Others will wear shorts. People will wear all sorts of things to work. But as Christians, there is a wardrobe that we must wear constantly. It is the wardrobe that I left out as I mentioned this part of Colossians 3. I'm not sure if you saw it or not. But in verse 12, Paul says, put on then And he gives the list of these great descriptions of the fruitful life. Compassion, love, humility, meekness, forgiveness. But you know what I didn't read? I didn't read about the identity. The identity part I left out is the most important part of this wardrobe. Look with me at Colossians 3.12 again. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Paul didn't say, as I read it, put on compassionate hearts, put on meekness, put on humility, put on forgiveness, put on patience, put on love. He didn't. He said, put on as God's holy ones, chosen and beloved. Now, this is why it's important. There's no other part of the world's identity that has more significance on a person's life than their work. You meet a new person, how long is it before you say, what do you do? Not who are you, what do you do? Your work and what you do define so much about your life. As Christians, work is never to be our primary identity. Our primary identity is that we are his holy ones, chosen and beloved. Therefore, as his holy ones, chosen and beloved, let's put on these things, by the way, which can only come if we abide in Jesus. This wardrobe matters. Because of the curse of work, when you enter into the workforce, people are stressed out. People are frightened. People are grumpy. People are selfish. People are driven. People don't care about other people. And how Christians respond to that has everything to do with what they know about who they are, what they have put on. Your primary identity is not a man or a woman who works in finances. It's not a man or a woman who has a store. It's not somebody who builds homes. It's not somebody who sells homes. It is that you are the beloved child of God. Holy, holy set apart. That changes everything. Because when you walk in with that truth, which, by the way, is the only ultimately secure thing, you can weather anything. News of a a huge break, you know, news of downsizing, news of the stock market crashing, news of whatever. You as a Christian can be secure. Because you know there is a God who created everything. You know there's a God who said there's a curse on this. But you also know that there is a God who's at work. Last thing. What kind of work did God have to do to give us this garment? What did God have to do to give us this wardrobe? The wardrobe is Jesus. And in Genesis 3, verse 21, the Lord said, the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. In order for Adam and Eve's nakedness and shame and guilt and fear and rebellion to be covered, the leaves wouldn't, take, wouldn't do it. Blood had to be shed. An animal killed. The skins ripped apart and made into coverings for their nakedness. That foreshadows the one to come. Jesus Christ. Who would do the work that was necessary for God's people to be covered in the wardrobe of Christ. And what was that work like? In the garden, there was sweat on Jesus' face. And the sweat was blood. It was really blood. It's not a metaphor. The capillaries under his skin burst so great because of the work that the Father had called him to do. The work was so hard that Jesus said to the Father, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will be done, but your will be done. And Jesus sweated blood by the sweat of his brow. The crown of thorns pressed hard against his skull. Blood running down on his brow. His face beaten beyond recognition. Our Savior goes through with his work. And on the cross, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then in the end, he cries out, It is Finished. What needs to be done that your people, our people, may be redeemed, it may be rescued, it is finished. I have become the wardrobe by becoming the sin. And then Jesus Christ, three days later, is raised from the dead. And now he reigns as our king. He's reigning as our king. To him be the glory. He has accomplished the work and is waiting for the Father to send him to this place. And when he comes, every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But those who have not yet gone to heaven, who are still in Christ, they're covered in his garment and they're safe, safe, secure. And the Lord is not done saving his people. And I believe there's people that he's going to save in the places where you work. He's rescuing work. And he's going to rescue people, I believe, through your work. And it's because they're going to see in you your understanding of work. They're going to see in you the character of your work and your character in work. But more importantly, they will see what you wear to work. That you're wearing Jesus. And there is a security in that that is changing everything about your life. Lord Jesus Christ, in your name we bring our praise and we thank you for accomplishing the work that we could never accomplish. We thank you, Father, that our salvation is not based upon our performance or our production, but solely upon the one and only one who could do what he did, our perfect Savior Jesus. And so, Lord, as we now close our service with a song to you and the Son and the Holy Spirit, would you lift our voices with joy? And would you give us gratitude for the work that you've given us? And would you help us, O Lord, by your grace and for your glory to be witnesses of those hidden in Christ that the world might see who we are in Jesus and the life that we have in you, life that will last for all eternity. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.